When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Jim Schull, filling in this week for Lentesta. And this is our show for the week of March 19th, 2023. I'm sitting behind the microphone because this week, Len is sailing the ocean blue, seeking pirate gold in the Caribbean. But before he set sail, he left me with this parchment scroll on which he had written that on today's show, well, we're going to be talking about the passing of a true Disney legend, a man I knew and was mentored by, a design extraordinaire, responsible for a smiling clock, terrific tikis, and a museum of the weird. Of course, this could be none other than the Imagineer Rolly Crump. But before we do that, we turn to the man from New England, a man who, when we talked before the show about the snow that California was receiving, well, he responded with the words, hold my beer. Mr. Jim Hill. Hello, Jim. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Shul. How are you today? Uh, You know, I don't have the snow you do, but once again, sunny California is giving us a little bit of uh, moisture in the form of rain. It is, it is. In fact, what's fascinating is that the atmospheric river that that you and me and Len were dealing with out in California a week before last caught up with me when I I flew back out here to New England. In fact, I got off the plane and just beat the storm in, which then promptly dropped three feet of snow on, on my corner of New Hampshire and knocked out the power for 60 hours. And that was a joy. The gift that gives on, keeps on giving, isn't it? Well, this this is true. This is true. And and so I, I guess hearing what you're dealing with right now, I, I, I guess I shouldn't put away the snow shovel. Yeah, well, you know, someday we'll be complaining about the sun and the heat and reaching for the, uh, the sunscreen. But again, you know, th- thank you for so much for agreeing to sit in for Mr. Testo, who... By the way, if there, there's any God at all, it, it is dealing with a hurricane out in the Caribbean, all right? Maybe this is the way. We, we take all the bad so he can have a little bit of the good. There we go. There we go. Hey, there's a lot to discuss on today's show, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get started, I want to acknowledge some new subscribers. Forgive me as I mangle your names, but they are Coter Prinks, Happy Bear 25 and Patrick. Oh, and longtime subscribers, Dano. Jessica with three A's, and just playing Chris. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who are responsible for making sure that all of those animatronic commanders-in-chief remain inside of Disney World's Hall of Presidents, which is a lot harder than it looks, given that the robotic Teddy Roosevelt, well, he keeps attempting to slip out of that theater so he can then go on safari over at the Jungle Cruise. Which, let me tell you, is making those robotic elephants there pretty nervous. In fact, I've heard the elephants are keeping their trunks packed just in case they need to make a quick getaway. True story. (laughs) 
I love the last joke. Okay. Um, oh, oh, but before we get to the news, uh, quick corrections corner. Uh, on last week's feature piece about the partner statue, uh, we talked about how it was Disneyland State Fair and how it was the fall of 1988 edition of the seasonal event where they set up a Ferris wheel in the center of the hub, which, which was what supposedly compelled Marty Scalar to, to finally do something to prevent anything additional being set up in that part of the park which would, would then ruin guest sight lines of, of Sleeping Beauty Castle and when you hang out with an actual Imagineer on Friday March 10th as we're hiking through Disneyland uh, you know it's myself and Len and Guy Selga we're on our way to check out the West Coast edition of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway which, which by the way we'll get to in a moment uh, Mr. Schull was sharing a story with Guy about how it was actually the gift giver extraordinaire, which that was set up in 85 for what, Disneyland's 30th anniversary? Yeah, it was set up then. You know, there was a period of time when Disneyland had these, oh, celebrations, and this happened to be one of them. Uh, and it was a huge device right in the middle of the hub, right in front of the castle. And Mr. Scalar, well, mm. you know, as an Imagineer, I got to be in a lot of meetings with Marty. And there was one particular meeting where Marty came in in not such a happy mood. This was because of the thing in the center of the park, right? They had ex actually excavated down because wasn't the gimmick of the gift giver an extraordinary that there was a car underneath it and that every so often, every 30,000th visitor to Disneyland would be awarded an opportunity to win the car, right? Well, I think that's the story, but I personally never witnessed it. And maybe that was part of the problem. If they'd given out mm -hmm. a few more cars, we might have actually kept the gift giver still there to this day. But no, mm. no, it didn't work out so well. And Marty was not all that happy. And um, as a result, he had a solution. Well, they'll never mm -hmm. be able to do another one of those, he told mm -hmm. us, because we're going to put Walt there and no one's ever going to replace Walt. They wouldn't dare. By the way, folks, if you're interested in learning more about the gift giver extraordinaire, if you head over to Live Auctioneers, the website, they actually sold at a recent auction the concept art that Imagineer John Horney originally drew for this this kind of Rube Goldberg-type device that would rise up out of the ground. It's really worth checking out. As part of this trip, when Len and Jim Schull and I, were, along with Guy, were, were out in L.A., we got to visit WDI. And we, we as part of our, our visit to the facility, we, we got into the... Now, it's the Blaine Gibson sculpture studio that that's what the room's known it, it, as it is now, today or? it is today okay. but that's a recent addition for their okay well folks you know as you're walking into this you have to understand mm -hmm. you're walking deep into the bowels of the back of 1401 glendale mm -hmm. which is the main headquarters on the campus of wdi there in california and there always was a sculpture studio actually there are mm -hmm. two there was a small one where they kept oh. all the busts and the maquettes maquettes mm -hmm. being very small clay models Mm -hmm. But that's where Blaine Gibson worked. However, mm -hmm. as with all things Imagineering, you don't have your name on the door. And so it's only been the last, I would say, three, four years mm -hmm. that they've actually had this beautiful plaque now, this bas-relief plaque mm -hmm. that gives credit to this being Blaine Gibson's sculptural studio. And as you walk in through these huge metal doors mm -hmm. that are, think of them as vault doors, basically, mm -hmm. because it's a it's a climate-controlled facility because, after mm -hmm. all, this is clay they're protecting. But you, you get go. to see, oh, what? We got to see, Jim, the heads of presidents and what was the other thing that we saw? 
What didn't we see? I mean, for me, what was amazing, the longer you stood in that room, the more stuff you saw. Like, for example, I want to say high up, on one shelf toward the right, there were the very models for the very first animatronics. And, and I'm talking like the 61 mind train through nature's wonderland. And, and then there were, there were maquettes for attractions that never got built, like the Circus Disney thing for, uh, that was supposed to be built as part of Discovery Bay. And, but yeah, I mean, you know, that, that you're not wrong about the president's head, you know, just sort of looking in and, and seeing, you know, both George H. and George W. Bush. And no, it, it was quite a thrill to be in there. But as they take us in there for a few minutes, and we have to continue on with the tour. And as we're leaving the room there, right by the door is the one inch to one foot representation of the partner statue. But it's not the partner statue that's in the park it's one of the earlier iterations that, that Blaine did and it's the one that, that I, I actually talked about in part of the feature it's the one where Mickey is holding an ice cream cone and and our host had heard the show and it's like oh hey your thing right there you know actual proof that you know I got a story right folks one mm-hmm. I think I, I, one you know so but you're always sincere isn't that the joke? The key to life is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you can fake anything. Oh, yes. I'll uh, write that down now, folks. Okay. All right. Another quick correction here. Tim Grassley reached out via Twitter to say that when it came to the happiest homecoming on earth, it wasn't Mickey's Jamming Jungle that was the Animal Kingdom special offering for, for Disneyland's 50th anniversary. Really? Uh, Mr. Well, yeah, Mr. Grassley is right. It turns out Mickey's Jamming Jungle uh, began running uh, at Animal Kingdom back on October 1st, 2001. Uh, and that was hmm. part of Walt Disney World's 100 huh. Year of Magic celebration, which, which keyed off of the 100th anniversary of Walt Disney's birth, not the 50th anniversary of Disneyland. Uh, and that ran at Animal Kingdom through 2014. As for what was done for Disney Animal Kingdom for the happiest celebration on Earth, they actually had two components. They had Lucky the Dinosaur and Expedition Everest. And in fact, to to back up his claim, uh, Tim produced photos of the signs that were created for Walt Disney World that keyed off of the happiest homecoming. And and so apologies for getting that wrong. But here's the thing. Lucky the Dinosaur. I mean, you were lucky if you... You actually got to see Lucky the Dinosaur at Animal Kingdom. Uh, he was only there from June of 2005 through mid-August of that same year. And then didn't they take him to Hong Kong? Well, he, he made a world trip. I mean, Lucky okay. was a moonshot. Because remember what Lucky was trying to do is all before mm-hmm. that, animatronic characters were always fastened to the ground. I mean, Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. they didn't move they didn't walk around they didn't move but lucky was different because he actually could move hence mm-hmm. the name moonshot and yes he came out of the r&d lab in in california and they mm-hmm. took him down to well they took him to animal kingdom they mm-hmm. took him down to uh, california adventure for a while where he was walking down the flat asphalt which was actually concrete kids mm-hmm. uh, that yep. um, dragging his flower car behind him on the mm-hmm. Hollywood backlot before they put him on an airplane to send him to Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. the, that dino got around. He did. He did. But they initially didn't. He initially debuted at DCA because that was 
really close to R&D, right? So if things went south. Oh, yeah. Again, this was kind of off-Broadway for him because he'd been, you know, showing and thrilling people Mm -hmm. if you were inside the campus walls. But now Mm -hmm. this was going to be the first time you could actually take him outside of those Mm -hmm. campus walls and take him into a theme park. But you're not wrong. If -hmm. something went horribly wrong, it was a short, you know, 45-minute drive back up to the the lab to repair his, our little dinosaur friend. I was fascinated by this moment in history in in, in themed entertainment, what Disney was trying to do here. Because, you know, think about it. In in a short window of time, we got the Wally living character initiative figure. We, We got Lucky. And what was the other one? The the Muppet one, right? The yeah, uh, there was Benson Honeydew, mm-hmm. uh, and they were they were a little bit different because they didn't walk around. They got around mm-hmm. that issue by having the two characters on mm-hmm. a rolling cart, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that one was in Hong Kong several times uh, for mm-hmm. quite a while. And I think he was more proven as proof of concept than Lucky was. Yeah, and I, I, I know uh, he was also, or uh, Bunsen and Beaker with, with the Muppet Mobile Labs were in Epcot for a time. But just what was fascinating is you saw these three and it seemed to promise something huge was about to happen. And then the company went a different way. I mean, well, I, a different way, but maybe also you wait for technology because remember this. You mm-hmm. always have an idea, but these ideas are moonshots, but sometimes you don't have the technology. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the idea is abandoned. I mean, let's look at the uh, video that Disney released just a short time ago, mm-hmm. where at South by Southwest, Disney oh, had God, the, you're ca- right. yeah, yeah. the character from uh, the movie Zootopia. And that's right, the Judy Hopps figure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's mm-hmm. a great example of. The concept of a walk-around character does not mm-hmm. mean that because you don't see it immediately in the parks doesn't mean it was a failure. It means mm-hmm. maybe there was some technology, something that the stars weren't quite aligned correctly for mm-hmm. it to be out. But when you start to see things like Judy Hopps again mm-hmm. out in public in a controlled mm-hmm. environment, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be in the parks at some future date. Interesting. Okay, this is definitely a story we're going to have to circle back on at some point. So, Well, I've taken um, my notes, page after page <laughs> after page of notes. Okay. Now, we mentioned Lucky the Dinosaur. We also should mention Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain. Uh, so that's the second half of Disney's Animal Kingdom's you know, a contribution to the happiest celebration on Earth. So that begins a uh, soft opening in January of 2006, some eight months after the happiest celebration gets underway. Uh, official grand opening is held on April 7th of that same year, 11 months after it gets going. But by the way, Jim, Expedition Everest originally opened with, uh, again, with a subtitle, uh, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain, and as did Indiana Jones Adventure, Temple of Forbidden Eye, back in uh, 95. When when did the Extendo names fall out of vogue <laughs> at, at WDI? You know, I don't think they ever really fall out of favor because when we were in the park recently, you know, you and Len and Guy and I, we were in the park with where Star Wars Galactic Edge was mm-hmm. a land. So I don't <laughs> think those lands names have fallen out of favor. And well, that, that's true. Again, in fact, what was it? Uh, during my late night sojourn to Disneyland in the rain, I got in two rides on Star Wars. The adventure continues. To double back to Indy, uh, worth noting, 
that that uh, Adventure Land attraction just came back online after a lengthy rehab and, and seems to be getting some um, some great no- notice about some of the uh, the effects that have been added and that sort of thing. Though, Jim, you were mentioning that you and your son Brian actually got a very early preview of the Indiana Jones Adventure, right? Well, that's true. You know, that's one of the advantages of being an Imagineer. And, and by I assume, by the way, you're talking about not the new version that just opened, but the original mm. version. There we go. And yep. wh- mm-hmm. what happened was it came about that one day, while I was working on some project for Tony Baxter, and Tony said, you know, we need some writers. And, you know, at that point, I dropped my, my pencil and pen. Uh, and he said, and I asked, pray tell, what do you mean by riders? He said, yeah, we, we've got to fill out the vehicle. It has 12 people. We have had water dummies. We actually have to have human beings now. How would you like to ride it? You know, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm in the car right now. And before I got <laughs> in the car, he said, oh, well, I understand your son's available. He's out of school. How would he like to ride it? Now, I try to be a good father. And, you know, as a father of a then nine-year-old i knew that if i hadn't said yes to this offer i might as well just never come home so short their time thereafter brian and i found ourselves standing at the unload load Mm -hmm. platform for indiana jones now mind you Mm -hmm. um what kind of condition do you think that unopened ride was in when we stood there i have to assume some of the show sets were in place but how many months out are we talking from the opening? And in, in, again, March '95. Well, you know, Disney works fast. Imagineers work mm. faster, and so mm. it was raw. We're talking as in raw steel, where there are carefully designated areas for us to walk along <laughs> and not to step off of. And oh, by the way, we've got our beautiful orange vests on and our hard mm-hmm. hats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, Brian, had protective gloves. Mm-hmm. Because he's nine, my my old hands could have suffered. They didn't care. Okay, but uh, we rode the ride, and it was mm-hmm. literally uh, we would ride it through the scenes, and there was a man in back who would trigger mm-hmm. the next sequence because the ride was, you know, it was there, but it wasn't fully baked in. And part of the reason we were there to ride was, frankly, to give a public reaction to <laughs> what we were seeing. So, holy cow. Oh, it was a holy cow moment, exactly. It's one of those things you just can't, you know, you can't uh, make up. Well, but at the same time, we, we were talking about this earlier, that, that was Bruce Gordon in the, the thing with you narrating the, the show scenes that hadn't been added yet, right? Oh, or? yeah, absolutely. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Bruce was in the, <laughs> Bruce was in, Brian and I were in the first row. I mean, right. you know, being mm-hmm. a good dad, Brian had his hands on the steering wheel. But uh, Bruce was in the second row. And so right. Bruce, being Bruce, you know, yeah. didn't have his seatbelt on. He was leaning over and whispering in our ear, this is where Mar is staring at you. Bad things happen here. <laughs> and we, then there would be this sudden lurch and we'd be rolling up the hill and we'd say, mm-hmm. and that man over there with the big plastic bag on him, mm-hmm. that's an animatronic, that's Indiana Jones. Look impressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we and they would roll around the corner again. Oh, mm-hmm. last thing though, they did have, they mm-hmm. did have the ice machine working. You know, have oh. you? Oh, Jim, I, did you ever see the ice machine? 
just recently you you shared how they made the ice look that much more convincing as if it were a real chunk of the ceiling caving in and it really was kind of an ingenious idea no doubt no doubt now listeners you have to go back into your way back with us here for a moment your little time machine because what i'm talking about is when this ride open to the public when you came around the corner past Indy into what they call the glory hole, which is that enormous room where you're looking at the skull of Mara. And there was a ray that came out of his, her, one of her eyes and hit the ceiling. And in response, what appeared to be large chunks of the stone temple ceiling collapsed and fell the equivalent of two stories and smashed to the floor below you. And this was real. I mean, you're looking at real dimensional objects, real noise from them shattering below you. And mm-hmm. what Jim's talking about is, well, that's not really stone. That was actually mm-hmm. ice. Because on mm-hmm. the roof of the building was this enormous industrial-grade ice machine. And it was making ice. That's all its job was. And it was making ice colored with tea. And the tea color was to make it look as if it was stone. And that little machine was on the roof, working away, grinding away, and chucking out these stone blocks every time a ride vehicle roared past. What I love about the design is the ice would fall from the ceiling onto, what, a heated metal plate. And then it would, what, it was sort of a closed system, right? Well, that the it, water was, would... it was, because you can't have a lot of, you know, tea, and everyone loves their hot tea drinks. There we go. There yeah, we go. so they would melt the ice and then, uh, you know, transport the melted water back up to the ice machine on the top of the building and to create more of those stone blocks but before we we exit here i just i love that you shared that the name of the big room the the mara room is the glory hole because isn't that also the name of the room that basically inspired this the thing over at knots most indeed it was yes there was another one of these and it was um, the one over in knots berry farm their first big dark ride which was the calico mine train there we go the giant room you traveled through was the the glory hole so i love that disney honored at least where they were cribbing it from so since we're 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 talking about eventually i i guess i should mention that well you me len and guy were were in the park we strolled by the attraction formerly known as the tarzan treehouse soon to be known as the adventureland treehouse and we saw something really kind of, of rare in the park, the scrim. I mean, you know, how typically when Disney will be doing work on a building, they'll set up a, a scrim to sort of keep prying eyes away and, and more to the point to make the show elements, you know, the, the park look attractive. I mean, you know, they, all of us have been in the park when, for example, they're working on the castle and they'll set up a scrim that has an image of the castle in the front of it so people can get these photographs and that sort of thing. But that day, Mr. Shul and Mr. Tess and I were walking through the park. The scrims had actually been pulled back and we, we could see all four levels of the, the scaffolding that was around the Adventureland Treehouse. And when I pointed out to Mr. Shule, I've never seen that before. And you explained the very common sense reason as to why the scrim had been peeled back. Oh, yes. I pulled out my Arkham's razor to point out the obvious. You know, what we had in California for, what, now four months, we've had a lot of rain. And with rain comes high winds. 
And one thing scrims don't really like is to be blown around, and you really don't want one of those loose scrims to be flapping against the side of the treehouse or, you know, getting up even worse, unloose, and then wrapping itself around Space Mountain. So what the park does is they look at their weather forecast, and when they look and go, ooh, rain ahead, they come in just like your, you know, dining room curtains, they tie them back. But again, it was fascinating to actually get to peer into the work that's going on there, which we will talk about in the future. Now, mind you, that same day that we went into Disneyland, Len and Mr. Schull and, and Guy and I hiked all the way back to Mickey's Toontown. And at that point, uh, half the land basically was still behind construction fences. And, and we did get to ride the West Coast version of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which has a very different queue than the one that's in place at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And that's built inside, of course, the old Chinese theater versus a uh, new custom space. And lots of, of I, I think, smart choices. But, but what's interesting is that, Jim, I, I think a day or so previous to this, uh, we had been over at Universal Studios Hollywood and had done the the Mario Kart ride there. And in fact, we we did the standby line, folks. So oh, yeah, we my walked, feet are still hurting. Yeah, but we, we walked the entire queue. And what was, again, what's interesting when you do a queue with a veteran imaginary like Mr. Shule is that there is an actual art to a really successful queue. And, and you had a lot of high praise for what the folks at Universal Creative had done with the Mario Kart queue, right? Yeah, true, true. I mean, one of the rules you have is that people have short attention spans and they do get tired. So you always want to have a rewards, weenies, mm -hmm. if you will, at the end of a walkway. So at the mm -hmm. end of a, of a path, you want to have something at the end of that path they can look at and be excited by and be drawn to before mm -hmm. they are asked to then make a sharp turn to the left and go down another long pathway, again, to be rewarded by something equally interesting that they mm -hmm. can go and look at. So mm -hmm. the I give uh, Mario Kart designers at Super Nintendo World at Universal mm -hmm. Hollywood high praise because it was a very long queue. And admittedly, yep. it's a, a ride that they need a long queue because it does attract a lot of people. But rather than just having a long set of switchbacks, Mm -hmm. They had a lot of eye candy for us to look at. Well, and and the same thing could be said for the West Coast queue for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. In fact, I, I mean, there was a lot of, I thought, really well-chosen, smart little detailing, that sort of thing. But you, as somebody who worked on the original iteration of Mickey's Toontown back in Dear Lord, that was no, 90, no, 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 no. 90. Okay, just last week, just last week. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, you had some some really kind things to say about you know what the team that has just done the Mickey uh, Mickey's Toontown redo. Yeah, they they did an excellent job. I mean, to be short and quick, you know, you always worry that something has a lifespan, especially if it's tied to a character. And Mickey's Toontown, it's point one has been there over 30 years and with the renewal i'm convinced it'll be there another 30 years because they were able to keep all the good values the things that really attracted guests and engaged them and entertained them and then uh, altered them and revitalized them and refreshed them so that they will attract for the next 30 years i mean i love the idea that now things that have been broken have been repaired or removed 
I love the idea that they've opened it up with the grass lawn area, although it's artificial. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we understand why. But already on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, you can see where people are camping out on the on the new full grass. Because after all, think about what a theme park or an amusement park is going to be at its heart. It's a place to relax. It's a, it's a folly. It's a place to rest with your family. And they were able to check all of those boxes with the new Mickey's Toontown. One of the pluses that have been made for this new version of Mickey's Toontown is for the first time ever. And you got to remember, this is a character who came into the Disney lexicon the very same time that Mickey did. Uh, Pete has just come into the parks as a walk-around character. And what kind of intrigued me is in the same window of time, because face it, the, the character suit for Pete is big. Oh, yeah. It's it's a big one. But at the same time, in fact, you and I were talking about that amazing video coming out of Shanghai Disneyland where they were introducing the red walk-around character from of Pixar's Turning Red, you know, who came dancing down the street at Shanghai Disneyland along with a bunch of folks from entertainment. And it's just sort of like, I can't imagine what it's like to have to perform in a suit like that, to interact with guests. Do, do you, Mr. Shul, you, you actually have some experience about some stories to share about being in a character of size walk-around suit? Yeah, well, you know... I'll share what I can share, and I will say this, that, you know, we always talk about the size of the characters, but what you don't understand is the way the character is, you know, made out of, it's a great way to lose weight. (laughs) Because I came out of that and and reached for, you know, when I walked out backstage at the end of my time as a character, thankfully there were already the cast members there saying, here, here's a bottle of water. Here's another bottle of water. We've got another third bottle of water for you because I needed all of them. You know, to your point earlier, it's interesting how many of the characters now are big characters because mm-hmm. the character from Pixar's Turning Red, that's mm-hmm. a big panda. And the same oh, yeah. now with Pete. That's a mm-hmm. big, oh, well, what, he's a dog? I never was quite sure. I, I'm always so impressed with how, you know, how well... The friends of Mickey, the folks who actually portray these characters in the park, the fact that when you think about, you know, what they're what their experience inside of the suit, the limited sidelines, and the fact that the patience they have to have with the guests and you know, especially the little kids. Oh, um, absolutely! You know, but, but before we leave this subject, let's also share some love with the cast members who accompany the friends of Mickey, because having worn that, you know, having been a friend of Mickey. You know, I can attest, We I had limited sightline and mm-hmm. views out, so I really need the cast member to kind of tap me on the back and say, oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to the guest. He has to mm-hmm. leave now and go yeah. take a rest, because mm-hmm. otherwise I'd be, I may be, have still been out there. <laughs> so shout out to the cast member. Oh, well. We love you okay. guys. All right. Well, all right. Speaking of cool things that Mr. Schul has gotten to do at Disneyland, When we get back from this break, Jim and I are going to talk about the time that Mr. Shul got the tour of the Haunted Mansion with the Disney legend. We just lost, uh, just this last week, Rolly Crump. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Now think about that. 
I myself, I, I, I thought as a household, Nancy and I were only subscribing to a handful of these services, but then I began actually counting. Uh, by that, I mean, we're signed up for six different broadcast services here at the house. Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, Peacock, Netflix, and HBO Max. I subscribed to four different newspapers for work. The Orlando Sentinel, the Los Angeles Times, the Orange County Register, and the Charlotte Observer. I also maintained a membership with D23 for work-related reasons. Then there's our Chewy subscription. They send us cat food on a regular basis. And we have the very same arrangement with Critical Mass Coffee. Not for cat food, of course, but for coffee. And holy cow, that's 12 subscriptions right there without even breaking a sweat. Well, if you'd like to stay on top of all of your subscriptions and make sure you're canceling the ones you no longer use or want, might I suggest Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spendings, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. To be honest, I'm not sure how much we've saved here at the house due to Rocket Money. What I can tell you is I use this personal finance app all the time to make sure that, oh, well, whenever I sign up for a new newspaper or magazine, that's how I get access to the info I then use to create those stories that I share with Len over at Disney Dish. Rocket Money reminds me to shut down those very same accounts when I'm no longer using them. So this personal finance app has turned out to be a really valuable tool. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. That's rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. One more time for the kids in the back. Rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. We obviously knew that we needed to pay a tribute to the late, great Roland Fargo Crump. By the way, I love that his middle name was Fargo, who passed away on March 12th at the age of 93. And, you know, look, there's a lot of tributes, and deservedly so, to Rolly out there online right now. But, Jim, you actually worked with Rolly. In fact, you two were assigned to work on on different aspects of the uh, Epcot's Wonder of Life pavilion, right? You did the goofy about health show while Rolly, given what he did, for example, with the Tower of the Four Winds and that sort of thing, but they brought him back to do the mobile that was at the top of that that future world pavilion, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and why wouldn't they? Because, you know, when you think about Disneyland, well, Mm -hmm. I don't think you'd have a Disneyland without people like Mary Blair and Claude Coates and Mark Davis Mm -hmm. and, and of course, Rolly Crump. Because Mm -hmm. They set the style for Disneyland. Every mm-hmm. small world you see, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to Tokyo Disneyland, you see a version of the small world clock that Rolly designed. The same with Paris, the same with Hong Kong, and so on. These are the original Imagineers who set the style for the company and all of their tw- 12 theme parks worldwide. You start at the company in, in 88. 
And let's be honest here. There's kind of a, a changing of the guard that's going on. But there's still enough of the old guard who are still in the building. And more to the point, you have a Marty Scalar at, at the head of Imagineering who believes quite strongly in the idea that you learn by doing. In fact, you, you were telling that wonderful story recently about in order to, to work with audio and animatronic figures, didn't they actually make you at one point clean out the machine that the, the latex was, was stirred? stirred oh, yeah. I, kind of, I, I had the honor of cleaning out the injection molding machine that they would make hands and faces mm-hmm. out of. And believe me, it was not glamorous. But your point was well taken that Marty really mm-hmm. did believe in teaming up people who had mm-hmm. experience with newbies. And in my mm-hmm. case, in 1988, I was a newbie. And because Rolly and I were both assigned to Wonders of Life, mm-hmm. Marty one day teamed me up with Rolly and he became mm-hmm. my mentor. What I love about how Marty did this was that, you know, figuring, okay, again, you have to learn by doing. And if you're going to build attractions, you have to see attractions, but not see them from the ride vehicle, like literally feet on the ground. So can you talk about what Marty decided that you should do one day with Rolly? Well, one day, you know, I got a call. And by mm. the way, this is before computers. So a call was a, actually a phone call. And <laughs> I picked up the I picked up the phone and mm. I heard Marty will be on the line. Yeah. And I wait and I wait and I wait. And then Marty saying, I want you to go down uh, to Anaheim with, with Rolly will drive. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going, hey, remember, I'm new. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, sir. Wherever you want, I'll go there right now. Not really mm-hmm. knowing why I was going. So I'm in the car with Rolly, and I'm just listening. And there aren't enough pages in a notebook to fill what he told me during the hour drive down to Anaheim from Glendale. But that was Marty's intent, that mm-hmm. by teaming somebody new from Imag- to Imagineering with somebody who worked on the original Imagineering to create Imagineering, he was imparting to me tribal knowledge because it wasn't a case of walking into a room for a one-hour lecture it was literally walking in Rolly's footsteps and Marty wanted me to go with him to see an attraction to get a case study and -hmm. the case study on this early morning tour was the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and when I say early morning I mean getting up at 4 a.m. getting to Glendale at 4 30 being there for Rolly with two cups of coffee and loading into his car, and off we go. Okay, so I, I, I'm picturing you guys, you, you, you make the turn off of Harbor, you go through the Harbor House gate, you park backstage. So I, this is Rolly. So he, he, he's got to take you over to the, the Tiki. You know, again, this is Rolly, the guy who worked on Tiki. So well, he went there, right? You're so right. And remember, Rolly was like having the golden ticket. You know, we drove mm-hmm. right through Harbor House. I think he stopped. I'm not sure to this day. We went <laughs> under the trestle of the main okay. street where the railroad went. And we mm-hmm. parked right behind Main Street jumped out of the car still holding his cup of coffee for him mm-hmm. and we yep. hightailed it over uh down through the hub past the tiki mm-hmm. room and while mm-hmm. we're going Rolly mm-hmm. at a mile a minute is going I did that I did that I did that I did that but keep walking and mm-hmm. so then we walk over to the haunted mansion and you know we get to the haunted mansion but we don't go in the front door we go in Rolly's front door 
and it was a completely different experience. You mean you went around to the side to the where the original pet cemetery was, right? Yes, the, 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 the weed, okay. the weedy lot that somebody mm-hmm. somewhere in the past went and bought two pet statues and put them in the area, and it's just behind the exit crypt that guests come out of the ride from. But we went around uh, on the backside of the next that crypt into this weedy field where there the pet cemetery was original one was built and we walked alongside the mansion and then there was a door right inside the mansion uh again something guests would never otherwise see and we open rolly opened the door and we walked inside and walked into a completely different world not uh although it was the haunted mansion it didn't look like anything you'd ever seen before well that's Again, what I I love about when you get to do something like this is that the guests know this thing by heart. In fact, we're just a couple of months out now from the the, the next Haunted Mansion movie that, that's coming Ooh, to theaters. That's right. Yeah. But the space you entered was the one that the cast members know, or, the, or more to the point, the one that the Imagineers, when they were building this thing uh, back in 69, spent hours in. Yeah, true, true. True, true. But remember, what the guests see is important because what the guests see is a big southern plantation house. What I saw when Rolly opened the door was a big old steel warehouse filled with theatrical sets. Because remember, what they would do is they built this warehouse, but they didn't build the sets there. They built them in a factory, in a, in a prop warehouse, in a set uh, warehouse. And I'm using a lot of names that were common to that era because it's very much inspired by how you build a movie studio uh, set piece or a theatrical set piece flat. These are all set piece theatrical flats that are built off site. And then when they're ready, they're trucked down to Anaheim. And then they're supervised by an art director like a Rolly Crump, who's then going to bless them uh, as they're assembled to create the show that eventually guests will ride through. You were mentioning that you came across this amazing photograph from what, like four months oh, yeah. prior yeah. to the attraction opening. And well, explain to people what really struck you about the mansion four months before it opened. How quickly it was built, Jim. How quickly it was built. Four months um, before the ride opened to the guests, I came across a couple of photographs, but one in particular really sh- stood out because it was a photograph taken inside the mansion looking back toward the trestle where the train, the Disneyland Railroad, would chug its way through the mansion. And it was bare space. I could see the trestle, I could see the rails, I could see concrete, I could see the ride track, and I could see nothing else. Because four months out from opening, none of the show had been installed. First of all, I'm hoping that we get Jim shared this amazing photograph of well, you're sitting at the organ yeah. in the grand ballroom, and well, no, you got to tell that story. Okay, well, I can tell this story even if we can't share the photograph. But I was standing there with Rolly Crump, the designer of the Hunter Mansion, and we were standing in the ballroom scene. You know, the one where there's that giant organ with a ghost organist. Well. Rolly's standing there next to me, and he said, sit over there. Where is there, Rolly? On the bench. Sit on the bench. And so a moment ago, 
you know, in time, I was sitting there on the bench. He says, look at me. And he pulls out a camera and he takes a photograph of me. And I have this wonderful photograph of me sitting there looking like an idiot, playing the keys on the organ in the Honda Mansion ballroom. Oh, that is so cool. It is cool. But again, you know, you can't get that. That was, again, going back to Marty's idea of, you know, it's the tribal knowledge. Because when Mar- Rolly did that, it opened up a whole set of stories. And, you know, he'd he'd say, oh, by the way, in the same ballroom, oh, there's the ghost flame. You know, that's just a, a fan and a piece of cellophane, a green light, don't you? And we're like, well, let me take this down. But that was the point. That was a thousand stories shared that day. Rolly's attention to detail was amazing. In fact, I, I think you, you were talking previously about, so you finish up the tour, you're hiking back to the car, you're headed through Frontierland, and you come across some green grass in Frontierland, which Rolly, who, who could be grumpy, uh, suddenly went off, right? Yeah, grumpy is a kind term. You know, in the dictionary under grumpy, there's a picture of Rolly Crump. Uh, but yeah, there, what you're talking about is back in the day in that era, when you walked into Frontierland in the planners, there was this beautiful golf course quality grass and unprovoked Rolly turned to me and said, Oh, that's Dick Nunes. He hates, he hates dirt. He hates uh, cactus and he never read a history book in his life. (laughs) And I went, okay, let's move it on. There we go. But you had this amazing experience, and the two of you, you worked together on um, Wonders of Life. And when you talk about Rolly Crump, it's not just, you know, the work he did at Disneyland. It's also, you know, for example, the stuff he did for Knott's. You know, like, like, you know, how many Southern Californians, you know, have really fond memories of the Knott's Berry Tales attraction that Rolly built for that park. And it says a lot about who Rolly Crump was as a man and an artist that, well, the, the famous story of, of they had a fire when they were, I, I, they were getting ready to open that attraction in, in Buena Park. And there was a fire and a, a number of show scenes got destroyed and Rolly didn't even blink. It's just like, okay, we had a fire. Let's get back to work. And, they, they recreated the scenes. They damn near got that thing open for its original opening date, right? That's true. That's true. But again, that's a testimony to Rolly's strength as being a designer, not somebody who just sat at his desk and drew, but actually who built things. Remember all the stories about him taking paper clips and bits of wire and making pinwheels in his, in his office in dimensional design there in Disney uh, in Glendale and how that would attract people because he would build things so yeah sure there's a fire in Knott's Berry Farm Berry Tales ride yeah yeah whatever let's go out there and you know get a hammer and some saw and uh, and some wood and rebuild it and open it on time another thing you pointed out and I think this is crucial to understand that that people have this tendency to sort of pigeonhole Rolly you know that to talk about you know for example uh, Tower of the Four Winds or, or the clock face it, it, it's a small world and they talk about his wonderful whimsical touches and that sort of thing and you seem to think that that falls short of understanding who really Rolly Crump is right? Yeah because you know again Walt Disney was great at casting people and at WDI you know he would pick people who did cute he picked people who did whore. He had people who did environment. But Rolly didn't do cute, but he did do whimsy. 
But I would add to that, it was whimsy with an edge. Because if you had five designs on a table, you could always pick out which design was Rolly's. Because it was always sincere, it always had an edge. His lines were always sharp. They never resolved in a curve. There was always a point, literally a point to what he did. And he could always tell you not only what the design meant, but how he would build it. Which is, again, you know, the famous story about the beautiful model he did in Glendale of the Tower of the Four Winds. And once it got engineered to withstand all the storms that you have on the East Coast, well, you know, it, it had bulked up. And so mm. when he was asked what he thought mm. of the, you know, the actual object, the Tower of the Four mm. Winds that was installed there in New York, you know, mm. he was less than kind. But mm-hmm. he was honest. And, and that's one of the things I, I, I love about Rolly is, is he was his own man at, at Imagineering. True, and, true. Uh, and by the way, that legacy lives on with, you know, what his son Chris Crump did as yeah. well. Yeah, you know, well, Chris, Chris is absolutely in another uh, Crump who I've worked with. Okay, folks. So uh, thank you, Mr. Schill, for sharing, you know, you, the, the story about your tour of the mansion with, with again, Roland Fargo Crump, who, uh, and uh, on behalf of Mr. Teston, Mr. Schull, and myself, we extend our, our helpful condolences to the Crump family at this sad time. And Roly is a guy who, who genuinely will be missed. I mean, it, 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 I think it always says something that when we lose somebody at the age of three and, and or, or 93, and people talk about it. he went too soon. You can't have much more of a tribute than that. Let's all go out and build a pinwheel now. There we go. There we go. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support this show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at the DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never be heard before on iTunes. Good news. Len will be back behind the mic next week. Uh, unless he decides to continue his search for pirate treasure. You can find more of Jim Hill at jimhillmedia.com, not to mention more of Lentesta at terrainplans.com, and you can even follow me on Twitter at Jim Shull. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be traveling to Spartansburg, South Carolina in the coming week, so that he can then debate the merits of dry rub versus marinade with some genuine barbecue enthusiasts at the 10th annual Hub City Hogfest, which will then be held in and around Morgan Square, March 31st through April 1st. Please take a moment to go to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. Until the next Disney Dish, for Jim Hill, this is Jim Schull sitting in for Len Testa. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next show. <laughs>